0: podcast exploring the creative practice of contemporary photographers and the bookmaking process. Coming to you from my Somerville, Massachusetts studio. I am Jay Sabella Smith, the creator and host of Got Punctum. Welcome, Jess, and welcome to those joining our online conversation and to those listening on our podcast, Got Punctum. I created this platform to share inspiration, resources, and challenges as ideas move into projects and evolve into book form. A note about our format for those listening by podcast. You may access visuals by following links in the episode notes that lead to a video of our conversation. Visuals are also available on Jess's website and on the Mac Books website. And of course, the preferred way, by purchasing Jeff's book, Jess's book. Following our unscripted conversation, we will have a question and answer session for our live audience. We encourage our podcast listeners to join our live online conversations when possible. I created this platform to engage and sustain an interactive dialogue. My work centers on concept development and isolating the dynamic elements of creative practice. As a curator, educator, and consultant, my medium is the creative practice. I am especially interested in how our own observations and awareness show up in our work. It is why I created my concept-aware framework. It is because I believe as visual creatives, we have a responsibility to explore how we see and why it matters. I believe in the power of the photograph to impact individual lives and to initiate positive social change. Jess, our paths have crossed in multiple states over a number of years. From your solo exhibit of Every Breath We Drew at Gallery Caiaphas in 2014, to Unexpected Families at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, through many Society of Photographic Educator conferences around the country, and several APADS. What a thrill to witness the evolution of your visual voice and to watch its extensive impact on our visual culture conversation. I know Leonard Cohen has spoken to you and his lyrics inspired the title of Every Breath We Drew. As I delved into your work, I came to believe you embody or personify the refrain in Leonard Cohen's anthem. I'm gonna switch to that. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Jess, I believe your work is the crack where the light gets in. In this latest monograph, Look at Me Like You Love Me, I am gifted with a sensual pleasure by way of introduction, and engagement. Your images offer a slice or sliver of tenderness and intimacy. Your words of vulnerability and longing speak of your authentic quest to live and love from your own deeply considered encounters and experiences. You open a portal and welcome your viewer in, The path is not linear. We are not led. It is an invitation. It is a prompt. It is a privilege to witness the tangible entity of trust you keenly cultivate and purposely craft. Daoud Bey, your former teacher, mentor, and friend, speaks of a good portrait as one which reminds us of our humanity. Reflecting the ways we are more alike than our differences would suggest. I love how he sums up your work as a poetics of experience. While you may use the interface of a camera, the instrument is you. Your desire, your seeking, your creating space to know and be your full self culminates in this book. It is an offering for each of us to do the same, to question our longings, our losses, to ponder our loves, to brave conscious awareness and embody what poet Mary Oliver describes in Wild Geese. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about your despair and I will tell you mine. While images can offer representation and provide validation, your images transcend identity and even time to capture the sometimes gentle and sometimes wild, the immutable power of love. Breath plays a central role in your process. And you speak of matching yours to that of your participants. In this, your lyrical and poetic love song, in your luscious and languorous images and texts, you bring sensuality to life in form and gesture, texture and color. I am so glad to have the time to talk with you together today. Welcome, Wow, thank you
1: so much for that incredibly beautiful introduction. I was trying not to cry before we even get started, so I'm, I'm so touched by how you respond to the work and and how you see it, and um yeah, I'm really honored to be here, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation and and thank you to everyone who joined us. I um very much look forward to your questions at the end, so please, please feel free to
0: ask them. Don't be shy. And so, uh, yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. And it's so funny, but I actually popped in a really out of the box question because of a podcast I listened to this morning. Uh, okay, and the, <laughs> <laughs> It was pretty funny, but I thought I've got to ask her be, or ask them because this was written. Uh, the podcast was about a book, but it's all about creativity and neuroscience. So my question is, do you have a meditation practice? That's an interesting question, Um,
1: and not one I've ever been asked, I think, publicly. Um, I guess I will say yes and no, because I don't have a formal practice, but I have been working towards one, and the reason I say yes is because um, over the past year and a half, I've gone through a lot of personal changes around getting healthier. Um, I don't, I haven't said this publicly before, but I think I'm prepared. I gave up alcohol and that was significant for me. And, um, so I've been on a journey to get more in touch with myself and to be more grounded and present. And I've taken up running, which wow. for me is meditative. Um, and I've taken up or I've increased my practice of walking and running and exercising as a way to ground myself. So that's why I say yes and no, but it's an interesting place to begin and an interesting question to think about. And I actually think we can get into this and I suspect this is maybe why you're asking, but a lot of this process I've been through personally is really evident in this book. And um, it was notable to me I should also tell the audience I have no idea what I'm going to be asked today, so I don't know yeah, if I'm, I do it. I don't know unscripted. if I'm jumping to a, a few or not, but um, that's all right. But you know, it's notable to me that all of the writing came out of a six month period in 2021. It was during the pandemic. It was also in this moment for me of incredibly heightened self reflection, and to 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 link it back to your question, it was in this moment where I was. Really getting in touch with myself on a different level and trying to be really present and and thinking very actively about meditation and what that could look like for me and um and what role that could play and really paying attention to you know my physical health, my mental health my um, practice of relationship that's something that really became heightened for me during the pandemic is is um, a deep questioning of what kind of relationship is meaningful and fulfilling and um and how i wanted to spend time whether alone or with other people so i'll pause there because you probably have other questions that are more pointed but that's an interesting place to begin
0: yeah well it's so cool now um i always follow these up with a summary and resources because that's what we dig up and and honestly i as I mentioned to you just before we got on, I better read my questions. It is unscripted. It's yeah. just that I think about, literally I leave open um, like ideas, reflections, and I just rip from there. So there's not like, and I don't share. That's why it was so hard when I called you last week and it's like, okay, we can't talk. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. all logistics. Like I can't open sure. this up or we'll have the whole conversation here. Um, but that, um that podcast really spoke to me, and and literally because creativity is my thing, and and you know walking is a meditative process, and yeah. the idea, um, and I'll put this in our resources. That's what I started to say is I share what we what does come out of our conversation, and so I started the um, TED talk by this particular author, but I. I'll just put all of it in our resources. I thought it was fascinating because there's such a link between attention and creativity. And what is so evident in your work is this, I mean, absolute amazing sense of observation. Like you very, you get really zen, you have Mm -hmm. to, and you're getting, you're so observant When, when I couldn't, of course I went to Mary Oliver, which is a constant refrain in my world, but the animal body, you are in touch with your animal body and how that opens the portal that allows whoever your participant is is to be in that space. Like, it's just, it's so evident. Um, So there is something to the idea. It's interesting. I asked that question about meditation because i i thought you must to be that observant and able to drop in almost mm-hmm. but um i was also thinking that your practice is meditative
1: yeah exactly that's what i was just thinking of as you were speaking um you know the way that i work is very slow it's very collaborative you know perhaps some people listening already know this, but in case in case they don't, you know, the, the people that I've chosen to photograph, particularly in Look at Me Like You Love Me and in my ongoing personal work um, are people who I feel an energetic pull towards. They're people who I feel drawn to. In some cases, they're friends. In some cases, they're people I've met somehow in my life and I want to spend time with them. My photographing is so overlapped with my personal life. And sometimes it's a way for me to build a friendship or a way for me to create intimacy. Um, And it's so much about following my own desires and really being tuned in to what I want and what I feel and who I'm interested in. And then there's a separate process of reflecting on what I can learn about myself through that, you know, why I was interested in a specific person or, you know, I, I look to my pictures to learn about what I'm going through in that moment in a way. So there's also this reflective element, but the actual process of making a photograph is very quiet. It is almost meditative. I have to create the kind of emotional space in the room and with the person that allows for a really intimate exchange to happen. And so the energy I bring to a shoot is hugely important um the headspace that I'm in a lot of what I do as a photographer is control my own mental space and the emotional space between me and someone else and work to work to create a space that feels vulnerable not vulnerable sorry safe and empowered for someone to show a part of themselves that might feel vulnerable or might feel deeply personal and I do think of my actual process as meditative in a way because I work really slowly and I work my way into a portrait. So, you know, I obviously look at things like color and light and the person's body, but I'm also simultaneously reading their energy and looking for how they hold themselves and where the tension is in their face or if they're clenching their hands. And I make these small tweaks both formally and energetically. You know, I have some directions that are like, can you turn your head this angle or can you open your fingers? And then I have others that are like, you know, I'm looking for an expression that's calm and present or, you know, think about this particular thing or think about this particular person or look at me like this. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's where the title comes from, which we could <laughs> speak about. But it is this way in which I have to totally lock in with the person that I'm photographing And I did write in the book about syncing my breath with theirs, and that often happens. And I use slow shutter speeds, so I am actually needing to pay attention to their breath often for the portrait, but it's also a way of being connected. And we do have to enter this space together, and that's that's a huge part of what I do. And part of my selection of people to photograph also has to do with people who I think can do that with me who I perceive are interested in doing that with me, that they would get something out of it themselves, that they're able to be emotional, able to to present themselves. And, and one thing that I'm very consciously interested in is the combination of strength and and openness or strength and vulnerability. Someone who has come to really know who they are and to have strength in that and then is able to be open and gentle. And I, I use the word vulnerable a lot, which I know has some, has some negative connotations, but when I'm saying it, I mean, you know, making oneself vulnerable by sharing your truth. And to me, that is actually something that takes incredible strength and I'm really interested in that. So I'm interested in, um, yeah, finding people who I can, have this kind of meaningful exchange with and i often do use the word meditative when i'm talking about how that works
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i think i also um came to the word um spiritual and it's interesting that breath can be interpreted as spirit and life and like that all is just super evident and the other thing that came to mind while you were talking is um the fact that you've done the work to be living your truth um, does two things, I believe, with your participants. Um, it, it, it gives permission as well as protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that it's really interesting to think about the environment that you are actively creating, which is why I talked about purposely crafting. Like, it is, it is, it is obvious. I had um, thought about, I think it was in your text where you said, like, I love that you, you spoke about, I want to tell you my story. And then you said, it's all in my photographs, if you look. And I love what you just said before, which is that you look at your photographs to learn. And mm-hmm. that is so key in terms of when I teach concept development, um, concept aware, one of the things is to be in conversation with your work. Mm-hmm. Like that is where the answers are. That's where the next breadcrumb is. It's like a Hansel and Gretel, but you've got to be in there active and, and, and take the time and listen. Mm-hmm. So so if you, if you want could you tell us what you would like people to look at in your photographs or what would you like us to see?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I had a couple of thoughts while you were talking and one was about um, this notion of making space or uh, validating others or giving people permission to live their truth in part because that's something I've worked to embody for myself. And that's something I've thought a lot about in this book Is this is this notion of making space for someone. And it's something that I've been on my own quest to do personally based on my own biography and my parents and um, in particular, a fracture with my father, which we can talk about. And so there's a way in which I, you know, I've always been consciously aware that by sharing my own story, it makes space for people to share theirs with me in a way that is healing for them, but is also incredibly meaningful for me. Like I'm fulfilled by that exchange and those conversations. But in this book, I've, I've expanded my thinking around that even more broadly to think about the ways in which my ongoing practice as a photographer is so deeply connected with understanding myself and making space for myself. And I think one big shift in this book is really going full throttle with um, the subjectivity of my work and just owning my own story and my own point of view and part of that comes through with the creative writing but part of that comes through just in the photographs um and now I'm thinking of the other thing you said oh um yeah I think in terms of learning from my photographs you know I I photograph all the time I I don't photograph every day I don't carry my camera with me casually but I photograph regularly and Mm -hmm. If too much time goes by without me making work, I get really antsy. I get kind of ungrounded. And my work is so tied in with my personal life that it is this constant through line of how I come to understand myself. I have the ongoing portrait practice, which I call Every Breath We Drew. And then I have another long-term project photographing my family. And those are different, but I learn about myself in each of them. Um, and then I had a third project called to survive on the shore, which is completed and, and had a a different focus, but, um, but yes, I try really hard when I'm making my work, not to be analyzing in the same moment, Mm -hmm. but I, then I make a lot of space for analyzing for, you know, pinning things up on the wall and thinking about them and reflecting. And I do that at different stages. I do that, you know, right after a shoot and then I'll do it a few months later and then I'll do it a few years later and then I'll do it in a different way when I'm making a book or a show. And so there is this constant learning from my own practice. And I'm I'm deeply grateful for that. And I think I became even more grateful for that during the pandemic when I realized that my practice was this outlet for me to process what we were going through. And I've, I've done that in different ways over the years. And, and I believe we're gonna talk a bit about my video piece, which was mm-hmm. in some ways the most significant example of me doing that in a kind of condensed period of time. But I I was consciously very grateful that um, that I had this practice. And my work really changed during the pandemic. It It took on a different kind of psychology and emotion and intensity. And a lot of that is reflected in the book. There are still life images like the one here on the screen and other images of flowers that I feel like were my way of really tapping into this emotional note of processing isolation and processing a need for relationship and processing human experience and processing the ways that who we are as people on a very fundamental level, um, that gets validated through relationship. And when all of that stopped, it was just this profound moment of reflection. And um, I liked what you said about attention leading to creativity, because I've actually been struggling to hold on to the amount of tension I had and the amount of attention I had during the pandemic because I'm busy again and I'm answering my email. You know, I'm trying to get through my email every day and I'm coordinating shows and talks. And there was something really profound about everything shutting down. And Mm -hmm. of course, it was challenging. You know, it had huge challenges and fears and anxieties. And I'm not downplaying any of that. I also have a small child. So that was a certain challenge during the pandemic so that mm-hmm. i you know the challenges were very real but at the same time i had a period of several months where everything i did professionally stopped and yeah. to feel my creativity during that moment was was pretty significant and instrumental and it's not that my creativity is gone but that quietness is gone and i'm mm-hmm. reflecting on that like how do i preserve a space to really tap that deeply into myself and my own creativity um Mm -hmm. so those are very long things to say that didn't really directly answer your question but Mm
0: -hmm. you know that's absolutely fine
1: (laughs) one thing I would think about you know I I do think um I've always thought about my work as wanting to offer a kind of possibility model to the person Mm -hmm. viewing it and I've often spoken that spoken about that in terms of queer representation that has Mm -hmm. been a big part of my practice is you know creating images of of queer people and communities and trans people and trans communities and placing those images in museums and in books and um creating a a, a very specific kind of representation and i'm still mm-hmm. interested in that but i think with this new work i'm interested in that kind of possibility model or um yeah encouraging someone to fully live their own truth and i'm thinking about that in a more expansive way not just in Terms of gender or sexuality, but in kind of personhood and mm-hmm. living authentically and being in relationship in a way that is fulfilling and validating, and the power of relationship to affirm an identity, no matter what that identity is. Um, and one thing that several people have said to me with this work, and I had an exhibition up at the St. Louis Art Museum for five months this past fall and winter, um, that was work from the past few years, work in the book. And so, between that exhibition and this book, I've heard several times that people have told me that when they're viewing this work, it makes they themselves feel seen. Was the mm-hmm. was my grammar right in that sentence? I'm not sure. It makes them feel seen, and I, and I think that has struck so um, struck such a deep chord with me because I think that's really powerful. And so, part of what I want is um, for people to have space to think about their own self and their own desires and their own identity and their own life by looking at my very subjective personal version. And I think that's happening. And, you know, in the book in particular, and we can double down on this if you like, I, I, the writing is very personal. The stories are very personal. But the way that we edited them was meant to leave a lot of ambiguity and a lot of entrance points for the viewer. And a lot of room for interpretation. Um, so it's an interesting combination of highly specific and personal, and very mm-hmm. open ended. And I consciously wanted to leave space for a viewer to have their own experience with the work and to bring to it what they will. And I think that that comes from the place I'm at with my work, you know, conceptually and emotionally. But it also, and I, I hope there's a way to say this eloquently. I think it also comes from having a kind of confidence in my practice that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't have in the beginning and I really like letting it breathe and letting it be and being really comfortable with the idea that I know where the work comes from and I'm interested in putting it out in the world and then letting that interpretation go wild, like letting it be what it will be on its own and letting people get out of it what they need and want and not, not. Trying to control the interpretation so much. Uh, and I also, you know, I, I worked on the book also a little bit in a cocoon. Um, you know, it, I was putting together the book over, you know, 2021. So it wasn't the worst of the pandemic, but I was really protective of the content and my writing. And I kept it really close because I just felt that I was doing something that felt, you know, the writing came to me kind of urgently. And I, I really feel like I was following something that was coming and I just had to let it be. And I didn't want to overthink it. I didn't want a lot of opinions. And um, I do think it was important to this work that I just let it be. I let it have Mm -hmm. breathing room. I followed the work. I went, you know, I I have sometimes throughout my career um, focused a lot on like career building and next steps and how to present my work and you know wanting to situate new work within the context of older work and just thinking somewhat strategically about the professional side which i think has has certainly had its perks but um with this i kind of let go of all of that mm-hmm. and i just and and that was partially through the collaboration with mac that gave me permission to do that and i was also at a place where i was ready to do that emotionally mm-hmm. but i just let the book be what it would be and went full speed subjective focused on it as an artist book. You know, in the book there's no um there's no external text. You know, there's no curatorial text, there's no introduction, there's no statement. Um I actually cut the acknowledgments because I didn't want to break the fourth wall at all. The only text in the book is part of the piece. And I view the book as a, a kind of visual poem between covers. And I really wanted someone to just dive in and experience it. And I d- I explicitly didn't want them thinking about me as a photographer or my career as a photographer. I just wanted them to engage with the work, and so that was really exciting, um, and felt very liberating. And and again, I think was where I was at anyway. But um, but Mac really facilitated that and was interested in in helping me
0: make an artist book. Um, Actually, it was um, I'll go backwards because you gave me about fifty things to think about and say. I know. With, sorry, you I know just, it's no, that's <laughs> awesome. It's uh, totally fine, but I'll go backwards. And that's that. It sounds like Matt gave you the, like, I almost think of two things, foundation number one, but also that idea of you could be the kite because they had the string, you know, yeah. and, um, you just talked about so many things. So let me just back up to say that, um, that whole idea, um, you were obviously extremely successful because what you're describing is exactly what I tried to describe in my introduction because it happened to me. Um, And one of the things that I wrote as I was uh, experiencing it was um, I gave some thought to the flowers. And I thought that for me, they were speaking of impermanence Mm -hmm. and speaking of the fleeting nature. Uh, If, if, if anyone who is, you know, over 15 and live through the pandemic isn't thinking about their own mortality, then they weren't here because that <laughs> has to have been a, a a reality. So this idea of us owning um like your deep dive reflective period um without it being tied necessarily um specifically It's this it's this collective experience that we uh, we all entered into. Um, So it's this idea of both um, really crystallizing the joy and the terror of living. And and so like the volumes were turned up like and and frankly, all of our inequities were turned up and and i just had the feeling even from the first moment we were in it like hey if we don't if we don't get if we're not listening now i don't know what it's going to take to make it you know possible for us to really change um and to actually address that quietude you found but when you talk about um, how your work changed and there was a level of maturity, there is like it's interesting because of course I went back to every mm-hmm. breath we drew and and what I know this is part of that experience, but it we watch you grow too, and it's not to say that one is better or you know it is it is evolution it's it's mm-hmm. it's beautiful to watch, and that's why I brought it up and it does come from this um you were forced to go outside. You used to photograph. You know, your whole uh, project was indoors uh, before. In terms of the one that you did with Vanessa, um, in people's homes was a specific part of that, right? So mm-hmm. going outside made you have to deal. A, you lose control over a lot of things. Like great for natural light, but there's a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. that you have to contend with. So like your confidence, your maturity. Um, it's that idea of you were ready. And um, um, I've recently had to go through a a, a number of changes and um, I find them both frightening and exciting. And I finally came up with the metaphor for myself was like, okay, I might not have chosen this, but I feel like a bird being pushed out of their nest. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just it's, it is scary and it's helpful to recognize that. Um, So anyway, I just wanted to circle back to all of that. And then in terms of being outside, you also, um, you don't number pages. You just don't get, that's what I meant about not linear. Like I loved that expansiveness. And one minute you were super specific. I think we learned that you lost a brother. Like, mm-hmm. it was just, I mean, there were times that were breathtaking. I was like, oh, you know, and or even when there's just one word or a part of a sentence on a page, and you give us such space to be able to take that in. I mean, just mm-hmm. so, so beautiful. It's interesting. I almost am now getting the sense that Mac did for you what you do for your participants, right? Mm-hmm. That they. Yeah, that they gave you this kind of like ability to have such openness and mm-hmm. and expansiveness. And the way that you came in with the specificity of, um, of your text, it was so experiential. It was like, like I was, you know, even before I learned that you that the title Look at Me Like You Love Me was directed at Vanessa, I was assuming it was. So it's mm-hmm. like there's these ways in which it's just um you talk about the water and and I am like hook line and sinker. Like I should just be a fish. Like I I have to go to the ocean. <laughs> like like if yeah. something happens, good, bad, any season, like that's my plug-in I go. And you talk about that. And I think about how your choices here were were oceanic for me in that they have a rhythm but it's all like it's just this beautiful um like enter where you will right Mm -hmm. you know um and then the only other thing I wanted because I can get so conceptual I never get back to bookmaking but I think (laughs) so reel myself in here but the fact that you did this you didn't include the titles when we're looking at the images we don't have page numbers and this is stunning i love that you just end with this compilation is beautiful and um it's really interesting too that you open up with a self portrait and you close with a self portrait which was obviously i think it's getting glare but um purposeful so Uh I have a did you have a discussion about that how did that fall into place that that
1: yeah let me come back to that because I had a couple thoughts as you were talking I'm gonna see if I can hold them all in my mind okay good um I I may forget one or two but one was just going back to the flowers as being ephemeral and Mm -hmm. thinking about our own mortality um but also about the in the inability to hold on to anything really Mm. and that's part of what this book centers around is is the 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 risk of loss that comes through living and through being in relationship but how that's a necessary risk if we are to be fulfilled it's just the reality of being alive and so that's something that I think deeply runs through the book and there are some stories directly about loss as you mentioned my brother passing away and the end of my relationship with my father. There's a story about a friend who died by suicide. Mm -hmm. There's more tangential stories about loss, you know, trying to hold on to things when I was a child and photography as this way of kind of holding on to things. Um, But I also wanted to mention that the ephemerality for me and the, the transitional nature of the work also presents itself in the outdoor images because they're often made at sunrise or sunset. And there is something about this very... Um, quickly changing space that I'm really interested in. And that also comes up in the water. Um, you know, I'm interested in water as something that's always in motion and always fluid and always changing. But like you, the water is this very steady presence for me. And there's something really reassuring about it. There are stories um, throughout the book that that write about water and my relationship to water and water as a place for both processing grief and um and for immense joy and kind of feeling my body being held and feeling in union with other people and so um so that was one thing i'll come back to the water in a minute but i also wanted to mention what you were saying about the moment this book came out of and my evolution i'm really interested in this book capturing who i am right now and i'm very interested that that will change or i'm aware that that will change i should say and i'm interested in that and i think i feel that most intensely with the writing And I anticipate making a book of my family work at some point, and I'm sure it will have writing in it like this. And I think that I will be a different person then. And I'm interested in that. Like, how do I, you know, I've intentionally not started writing about those pictures because I like this idea of writing in one kind of concentrated moment because it's Mm -hmm. capturing how do I reflect on my life and these memories now in this moment? And that's very much in this book. And that's something I embraced. to the point about the self portraits you know we we did decide to begin and end with the self portrait and um and I can talk as much as you want about the bookmaking process in mac and I just had a completely delightful um incredibly collaborative smooth emotionally and I mean intellectually stimulating experience with mac we were a really great fit I think and um and that process was lovely um and 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 um Oh, so the self-portrait. So, you know, I went to them with a sequence that was pretty fully formed. And for the most part, they, they took that sequence. Um, and so it came from me wanting to begin and end with a self-portrait because I really wanted to center this work as being about me and my own story and my own subjectivities and my own desires and really own that. Um, you know, I've, I've made self-portraits throughout my entire career, again, as a way of understanding myself and, and also sharing my story. But it's notable to me that I think there are five in the book and and my eyes are closed in all of them. So I'm not meeting the viewer's gaze, which is a really big shift from the earlier work, which was, I think, asking different questions. You know, it was more of kind of coming of age and coming to own my body and my gender and my sexuality. And it's presenting that to a viewer. And in the newer work, I think I'm asking different questions. I'm looking inward. I'm thinking about you know aging and the weight of relationships and becoming a parent and you know being at this point in my life where of course there's all kinds of potential and things to come but in some ways I've made a lot of decisions that are what they are you know I have a family I have a child I um have a certain practice and certain career so I think the the self-portraits have changed um and then, yeah, the water thread, you know, we we very consciously ran that throughout the book. I think it emerged in my texts. We we sort of begin and end with, um, I think the second text talks about water. The very first one talks about wanting to tell my story, which is, I think, important. Um, but then that we sort of begin and end with texts about water. And we even extended that through the color palette with the blue papers and the blue linen and. A lot of the images have water, whether it's the ocean or a glass of water or even flowers and water. So it's a pretty significant element in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to your, to your point about the image grid, you know, and the, and the no page numbers, again, we really just wanted it to be this visual poem that you could be totally immersed in. Um, and it's funny because I love that conceptually, but I've done a couple book release events recently and I've realized it's hard to, I've had to put all these post-it notes on the book because I'm like, I don't have any page numbers. Um, but I think it was important for the book. And and that image grid in the background, in the back was, um, that came from Mac and they were from the designer in particular. And we were thinking about, you know, conceptually carrying through the themes of the book in the execution um of the book as an object and that kind of grouping made a lot of sense and they're also um it's a it's a kind of you know um what's the word i guess it's a duotone printing it's you know one it's kind of a muted printing they're not full color in the back and so it's meant to be this more of a reference and um and has some function in terms of just identifying the photographs but also conceptually is meant to to work in that way as almost a memory of what you've just seen you know not quite fully there and that's also why we did this right and that's also how the cover came to be with the the sort of Mm. single single color ink and um linen and i would say everything in the bookmaking process you know the words that i kept using were subtle and understated and poetic Mm -hmm. so I was really, you know, I don't know if people can see my little square, but, um, you know, the title is super small Mm -hmm. and on the side, like you almost can't see it unless it yeah, you hit it. Mm -hmm. And then my name is on the back, like really subtle and small. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we wanted to, and it's interesting because I, I wanted to foreground myself as a person and then like almost downplay myself as a photographer, if that makes sense. Like I just really wanted it to be about the work. Um, and maybe that's everything you asked well, me was there another question about the book
0: no 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 and it's like I think that that is ironic and wonderful and kind of what I meant when you were the instrument um you got out of the way but it <laughs> like you you gave it you gave it ground but you didn't give it limits and it's mm-hmm. that that sense of um Uh, I think it goes into what I did want to ask you, because I was noticing, you know, the press that has come out, even frankly, in the last 10 days is kind of amazing. And several led with like queer identity. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Like my question is, um, you know, I'm a, a cis person not feeling met with a question of my sexuality or gender. It's so much more. And so I wondered and just kind of want to open this up. There's two references. One is um, uh, Daoud Bey interviews you in Every Breath We Drew, and he speaks specifically of this. He's basically saying when those of us in a marginalized community, whether that's race or gender, um, we don't get to play in the sandbox like you know, gender white male. Hello. Like we can make, or I should put it, they can work the way he puts it. They can make work about anything. And -hmm. then it gets this critical view where all of a sudden you become a uh, lack of a better term, but poster child for Mm -hmm. someone. And it was interesting because in my conversation on one of my, uh, Previous books this was with Teju Cole, and we spoke about this, and he brought in the reference of not wanting to be modified okay. or codified um I think was the the word that he used. He said something along the lines. He talked specifically, yes, there is violence in exclusion, and that is not to be denied, and the issue around representation and validation, however, Um, he said, I'm implicated, like frankly, or modified is the word he used. And and what's interesting is you did so much to not do that in this book, Mm -hmm. right? That you left open all of our searches for truth without giving us these lanes to choose to be in. So I wanted to raise the issue about how it has been it almost feels as if something that you've let go of that other people haven't caught up with you on. on oh, um, and the only other reference I have is um, Dawood used a term when, in the essay of oppositional affirmation. Okay. And, and I feel like I'd love to know what that's been like for you.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad you brought it up. And, you know, it's something I've thought a lot about, not just recently, but over the past 15 or 16 years that I've been working seriously. And I—and and it's one reason that I chose to work with Dawood, because I wanted to have these kinds of conversations. And I wanted to think about, think deeply about what it meant to be making work from a place or, or from within a community that has been marginalized. And you know what kind of responsibility comes with that what kind of what kind of potential for education photography has but specifically with Dawood also wanting to take a deep dive on you know making formally strong portraits and and the poetics of of art making and kind of how to navigate all of these things at once because I do deeply think about representation and I I had very powerful experiences as a young person seeing images of queer people and those were really important to me. Um, And I I have been beholden to doing that for other people through my work. And in some ways I found that very powerful. And, you know, something like to survive on this shore had a a heavier percentage of that desire than something Mm -hmm. like, look at me like you love me. Um, But all of that having been said, you know, I think I've been moving to this place where I am interested in owning my own experiences. I'm interested in making work from my, from my own identity, which is someone who identifies as queer and non-binary and has had this long history of being visibly gender non-conforming and visibly queer in this world. And so all of that affects me and my work, but I've really been moving to this place of, um, thinking about my work as, as having a queer gaze or, um, coming specifically from my point of view in all of its expansiveness and not so much being about queerness or about queer people. Um, And I think that that really happens in this work. And, and, you know, I could talk about that in terms of the work itself, but then there's a separate conversation about the media. And I think that Mm -hmm. there, you know, I, I do think, so it's interesting in the work because I feel like in some ways I've moved away from this idea of queer representation being the driving force Mm -hmm. and yet when I had this exhibition recently I was really moved to hear from people how meaningful it was for them to see Mm. visibly queer people and couples on the walls of the St. Louis Art Museum which is a you know major encyclopedic museum in a city that is not always the most progressive and that that meant a lot to people and so I don't forget that but I'm interested in in sort of that plus something that's more expansive. And I've actually had to I've had some some wonderful press features about the book very recently, as you mentioned. Um, but in some of them, I've really had to push back. And in in some cases, I've had to actively request that language be adjusted or the headlines be changed because the writers um, sometimes come at it from this framework of you know, this new book is all about queer intimacy, or this new book is all about queer people, or Dugan photographs queer individuals. And that's just not true. Like, not everyone in the book identifies as queer. Um, and on some level, that doesn't even matter. Like, that's not what the book is about. And and when I really start, you know, I've thought about this a lot, because I really start picking this apart. Um, and it's like, well, what do you learn from knowing Like if there's a portrait of an individual, for example, what are you actually learning by knowing who they're attracted to? Like that's, you know, it's so specific and and the work is bigger than that. It's about something bigger than that. And so I've had to push back um, from it being framed only through queerness, which is not to deny the queerness. The queerness is very present and it runs deep through the book. And in a way, I think the the fluid nature of the book and the nonlinear format of the writing and the theme of water and all of these things are, they intersect with my, mm-hmm. the way I live in terms of gender and sexuality, which I don't view as, as fixed things. I don't view as, you know, existing in these finite categories. So it all is connected conceptually, Um but there's a way in which the media can kind of dumb things down for for lack of a better word or kind of want these these buzzwords. And I've really right. pushed against that. Um, and people are receptive, but it's mm-hmm. I'm very conscious about how my work is written about and wanting it to be portrayed accurately.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely get that. Um, there are a, a couple of things Um that I want to make sure we get to before we open up, but, um, I was reading, um, there's a few things. I love the intersectionality that has happened. I recently, um, wrote about, the um women photographers international archive and their resource which is kick-ass uh called becoming sisters and you're in it as a member a founding member of the strange fire collective Mm -hmm. and i love that the portrait series that you have done with your mom over the years is what's in that book Mm -hmm. and um i thought i love how we're witnessing uh a seismic change. Uh, I think photography is such a fascinating medium because it is part of the visual culture conversation and it's and nobody's got the answers. And I can't really like that. Um, and not everyone likes to stay in that ambiguity that you mentioned before, but it's so important. Um yeah. so I was reading um something, uh, in the resources for the women's Congress that happened back in November. And, um, Dr. Deborah Willis was in conversation with Zanelli Maholi and, uh, Zanelli, South African, uh, non-binary, amazing portrait photographer using a lot of self-portraiture, uh, performance installation, et cetera. Um, basically, um, spoke of her, uh, their, uh, Subjects as participants, so I really appreciated yeah. that that whole collaborative nature. But was directly asked, "Does photography have a gender?" And yeah. and and Zanelli's answer was that it didn't. So I thought that was interesting, and I I don't know that that's the yes or no answer, but maybe that's something we can come back to, um or just to think about. Like I thought it was interesting that that I don't even think it was a prompt from Dr. Willis. It was zanelli saying i don't think it has mm-hmm. which is which interesting yeah. food for its thought right and one other thing um this happened to be at an SBE conference so long ago and they kind of meld into different ones but remember <laughs> <laughs> remember when you were a reader and there were four um queer lesbian uh identified people showing their work and right. I came up to you after because I was really taken aback that the only person on the panel was one lesbian photographer who addressed the power dynamics in portraiture, mm-hmm. and I was like, just like, like how can, like how can we go on? Like this needs to be a part of the conversation. So, do you mm-hmm. just give us some thoughts about that? Is I think that that's. Really something that's moving too that doesn't have a particular answer, but that it, mm-hmm. it it's one of those things that doesn't get pulled out and talked about often. Yeah. And I think it's there. So I didn't know if yeah. you had any thoughts on that. Nothing like asking you some big heavy questions and not giving you any time to I was think gonna about them, but- I mean,
1: yeah, that's a huge question. And it makes yeah. me think about the history of photography and the way that it's been used, not just in terms of gender, but in terms of race and anthropology and colonialism and you know our medium has such a difficult history in some ways and I think um that's something I'm aware of um and and think about a lot in terms of my own relationship of power to the people Mm -hmm. that I'm photographing and I have worked really consciously to have a practice that's more collaborative and Mm -hmm. to even that Power dynamic a bit while always owning the I recognize that as the image maker I know things visually that the the participant or subject just can't know so I always ultimately take that responsibility for what I'm doing how I'm presenting people um I think even the as you know even when you're the most collaborative you can be there's still some power that falls to the photographer and I totally own that um But I, yeah, I think about it a lot in terms of, um, you know, kind of an ethics of care and like an ethics around Mm -hmm. portrait making and an ethics of how I interact with people. And there are certain things I do, like, you know, often having the the participant make eye contact. That's something I've done for years as a way to sort of give some of the agency to them to show that they're present and participating, to activate the viewer. I mean, there are multiple reasons I do this. I think about the quality of light and what that says. I think about the angle I'm photographing from. I think about the person's comfort. You know, I never, I would never push someone to do something they're not comfortable with. And there are some moments where there's nudity and it comes from the person I'm photographing. And actually that process ends up being really like meaningful to them, you know, but I would never, it's it's part of my practice as a photographer, I would never push someone Mm-hmm. Um, to, to go to that place if they weren't interested in it on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think about that a lot. And and I think about, you know, the interplay of my identity with the people that I'm photographing. I think about my identity when I'm putting the work out in the world. Um, But I guess I would say I have a pretty clear ethics around photography for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I follow that. And I communicate that to the people I work with. And I carry that through things like exhibitions and books and press. And, you know, I think about it a lot when I'm doing like a book release event, for example, how I position myself, um, you know, when I was releasing To Survive on the Shore, which which was stories and interviews with transgender older adults, I would invite the participants to come and share their story and not mm-hmm. make it about me. Um, you know, in this book, I'm doing more conversations about me because that's the the nature of the work. But um, but also had recently had a panel discussion. Actually, with Colin, who's on the screen, and another person, Shira, mm. through the St. Louis Art Museum, where we had a conversation about their experience being mm. part of the work. So I always bring that into what I do, and mm. I feel you know I feel really strongly about maintaining relationships with the people that I work with mm. and involving them in the the process long after the moment that we've made the picture.
0: So. Uh. Actually, yeah,
1: I, guess I, I, I think intellectually about the history of the medium, and mm-hmm. then
0: I also just have a, a personal ethics. That's really helpful. And actually, um, I went to when you had every um, breath we drew at the Harvard um, bookstore, Vanessa was there and you invited two uh, trans activists, um, people really active in the community to also speak as well yeah
1: uh-huh. yeah I Good. think that was actually a release for um to it, the with for it, our, it
0: was oh, hey. here oh okay great sorry yeah. It up, but, no, yeah. It's okay,
1: yeah, we invited two two other the participants to come and speak and and mm-hmm. that's for that project in particular, um we've always done that because that project is very much not about me, it's really
0: about right. the people that that it. makes so, sense yeah. yes yeah but mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, last that I want to reflect on is the video, uh, the letter to my father, which I'm still trying to remember. I feel like I watched it on my phone. um, And I don't know when, so I don't know when you first released it. Yeah, but it was breathtaking. And it had to have been sometime in the last two years, maybe I think you made it in 2017. And I wish I could remember how I saw it. Um, and then now it's at ICP. So could yeah. you tell us about that? It It's
1: breathtaking. Sure, yeah. So Letter to My Father is a video piece I made in 2017 that combines uh, audio files of me reading a rhetorical letter to my father that's trying to come to terms with our difficult relationship and... um And that letter traces things like my early gender nonconformity, my coming out, um, you know, Vanessa and I getting married and wanting to have a child and how that was essentially the beginning of the end of my relationship with my father. And then it kind of similar to the book, it's it's nonlinear. It bounces back and forth in time to kind of imagine that experience from my father's perspective and what his life must have been like as he expected it to be a certain way. And then that all changed. Um, so it combines that letter with snapshots, uh, from my life, from family albums. And, um, and I'm, again, I made it in 2017. It was one of the most difficult pieces I've ever made because Mm. I looked through every photograph I had, literally every photograph, digital or analog to try to pull these visuals together And I would often leave the studio in tears because it was my way of also processing what was happening. You know, when I made the video, my father and I hadn't been speaking for about two years and now it's been about seven years. Um, But it was huge for me to make it, uh, to work through that experience. And I first exhibited the video at a small university here in St. Louis. And I think it was really helpful for me. To have an exhibition in mind, you know, I had this video room I could imagine, um, but to have it be kind of low stakes because it felt so personal. And I was mm-hmm. totally prepared to get to the end of this video and realize that nobody cared except for me. And it was just this cathartic thing I had to go through. Um, it was really agonizing to work on, which the rest of my work is not. It comes very easily. Um, so I showed it in, in, at that. Uh, venue and it was well received and I got some very um, empowering feedback just realizing it was resonating with people who had all different kinds of stories and it, it wasn't actually as specific as I thought you know it tapped in I think it really taps into this idea of the tension between needing to live in your truth and wanting acceptance from other people and what happens when those things are at odds and what happens when the people who don't accept you are your family you know and i think so many people can relate to that whether they're queer or not or you know for all kinds of reasons yeah um so i showed it there and then i you know gained a little confidence and was thinking oh maybe this is interesting to people and started to show it a little more broadly i showed it at the museum of contemporary photography in chicago and then I've showed it alongside other work. So I showed it alongside To Survive on the Shore at the University of New Mexico Art Museum. And I've shown it alongside Every Breath We Drew. Um, so anyway, so right now the video's at ICP in New York, and I think it's uh, arguably the largest venue it's been at. And and at some point over the past couple of years, I, you know, I used to view the video as kind of an outlier to my other work to my photographic practice and I very much come to understand that it's a core part of my work and Mm -hmm. in some ways it it planted some seeds for this book because the video was one of the first moments for me where I was realizing that I had stories I wanted to tell that I couldn't tell in photographs I needed some other media I needed text I needed you know video I needed storytelling and that's very true in this book too I feel like I kind of Have have run up against the limits of what I can say with only a photograph, and I've I've had a I've had a compulsion to tell more of my own story. Mm -hmm. Um, so I view the video, and this book is actually quite linked. Um, but that is the story of the video, and um, and yeah, I very much view it as as a pretty core part of my practice. And I actually am sort of pondering, um, making other videos in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, just grappling with what what would that be like to make one about my daughter or to make one you know about yeah. a person and I don't want to force that but it's mm-hmm. I suspect I will work in that media again.
0: Mm-hmm. I was very curious where uh your daughter will play in your work and just two things to say um the visuals that I have accompanied I I normally do it one uh, at a time but when they came up as these um diptychs I actually really had I loved them. <laughs> yeah. And we've just had a handful, but the piece uh that I took out of the book in terms of a quote, which I thought was so beautiful, love was hiding in the shadow of every day there all along, waiting for your eyes Just Beautiful. I love um, you
1: pulled the, the diptychs too, because I, like, you know, that's something we did in the book very consciously, mm-hmm. like the portrait and the flower. And then this is one of my favorites, the the portrait with mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm.
0: Stupid, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I like it. It was so things. funny. I didn't want to go off of like actually. So you've got my favorites, obviously, but when I saw this up on screen, I was like, oh, like, oh man, that one it, they're really <laughs> be-. and then it happened again. Like, look at the shadow yeah, and the light, like crazy and the color, just beautiful. And this, like I hadn't even planned on that, and that was cool. Yeah. yeah. The poses were just inverted. So beautiful. Um, and ending on this you know you are a busy person so I super appreciate you bringing uh, your attention here and spending the time and I'm so excited to be able to to discuss this all with you it was just a treat such a beautiful object
1: oh likewise thank you so much for having me for the invite and thanks to everyone who joined today It it was wonderful to have you here
0: Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Okay. See you all soon. Okay. Me too. Bye. Bye.